Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And I would like to share with you a letter to the editor of the New York Times in today's paper under the heading, Access to Elite Colleges. I think you'll be very interested not only in the content, but in the author. This is a letter about the story in the, in the Times and in other newspapers recently about the use of SAT or ACT scores uh, in colleges, which, as you'll recall, have become disfavored for the most part. Dartmouth has just reinstituted using them, and this was a big story. It's a big story in education and a big story in the Times. And here's what the author of this letter says. Dartmouth is correct that once again requiring the SAT will identify a few more low-income students who can succeed there, but it is unlikely to yield more than a marginal change in income distribution. The author goes on. For decades, elite colleges have sought to increase access for low-income students. Okay, so far so good. For decades, elite colleges have sought to increase access for low-income students. Yet, their admission processes continue to generate overwhelmingly wealthy student bodies. Their admission processes processes continue to generate overwhelmingly wealthy student bodies. The reason is simple. Their definition of a prepared-for-success student is indistinguishable from a profile of a rich student and will always favor privilege over potential. The reason is simple. Their definition of prepared for success is indistinguishable from profile of a rich student and will always favor privilege over potential. Ultimately, it isn't the test, the letter goes on, or extracurriculars or information about college that limits the number of low-income and BIPOC students. The problem is how we define who deserves access to elite colleges' immense resources. The letter goes on to say that there are some institutions, some colleges, that have, by focusing on the student and not on these tests, some colleges that have increased Pell eligible, those are low-income students over the past decades, and with limited resources, those colleges have diversified their economic makeup, taking meaningful steps to create broader opportunities for future leaders. The conclusion of this letter, wealthy institutions like Dartmouth would be well to adopt and implement their approaches if they are serious about bringing more income diversity to their student bodies. The author of this letter signed Ed Wingenbach, Amherst Mass, and the note from the Times, the writer is the president of Hampshire College. So, few thoughts on this. First, I think it is a uh, note to the importance and the prestige of Hampshire College as a leading liberal arts institution that the Times printed the letter from Ed Wingenbach, the president of uh, Hampshire College. It is not easy to get a letter in the New York Times, and they pick their letters very carefully for this very limited space. The second is, of course, that the letter is well-reasoned and important, and it speaks to the 
uh, integrity of Hampshire College in meeting its mission for a diversified or one of its missions to have a diversified student body. So congratulations to Ed Wienbach, president of Hampshire College, for this letter. Thank you for writing it. And we certainly will hope to have the president, President Wienbach, Ed Wienbach, back on our show soon. Buzz? There, there is a scholarly study that was done in October that uh, was sent to me just as uh, somebody who formerly taught at a community college. It's called Diversifying Society's Leaders, with a question mark, the determinants and causal effects of admission to highly selective private colleges. It's a hoity-toity title. It's a very long scholarly uh, white paper that breaks it down really social in terms of social science very analytically. I couldn't read the whole thing because it's a little over my head, frankly, but I just want to read from the abstract in the beginning, which these studies often contain and where they tell what they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it, and they announce their conclusion. So I'm just going to read the one-sentence conclusion at the bottom of the abstract. We conclude that highly selective private colleges currently amplify the persistence of privilege across generations. It could diversify the socioeconomic backgrounds of America's leaders by changing their admissions practices, but they haven't. So that what these highly, these highly selective colleges, these prestigious institutions, we always hear how many presidents went to Yale and Harvard and, well, they get leadership positions because they come from these colleges. They have economic advantages that those who can't get into these colleges don't. And uh, I'm really proud of the president of Hampshire College for, uh, for writing the piece. It's a really important piece. I think the important... It, let me put it this way. I don't think you can overstate the importance of these social networks. People who go to Harvard, well, know a lot of people from Harvard. And people who attended and graduated Yale and Yale Law School know a lot of people who went to Yale and Yale Law School. And those social, those social connections continue for a lifetime. And that is a significant reason why so many people from Harvard, graduates of Harvard and Yale and other Ivy League schools, uh, Princeton, I sure wants to be included in this in this discussion as well. Uh, University of Pennsylvania and a few others, but you know Harvard, Harvard, Yale, Princeton. I mean, those are that's the triumvirate, right? And those individuals have all of those connections, and they uh, continue for a lifetime, and they result in. Well, Supreme Court nominations and elections to the United States Senate and uh, very prominent positions in corporations. They get their first job because they know somebody who knew somebody and dad went there and goodness gracious, all of a sudden the new CEO is, well, another person from Harvard or Yale or Wharton Business School at the University of Pennsylvania. And big surprise, whether you're looking for seed money for a corporation or a project you want to create or whether you're running for office and you need to have uh, to raise funds, people that you know or the people that you went to school with quite often have access to the kind of money that the rest of us don't have access to. It Absolutely true. I think more to the point of what Ed is talking about, what Ed Wingenbach is talking about, is that this is the reason you get your first job at uh, X, Y, or Z corporation uh, because you're family, know someone, or you went to school with, or 
that kind of connection is there so you can get the job, so you can make that progress, so you can become the CEO someday. Um, and the opportunities for investment, well, they're there because they're offered to you. Um, and of course, what uh, Warren Buffett uh, famously said is, what you need to make money in the stock market is some money. You need capital to increase capital. And this is both social capital and, in fact, economic capital. And it is a perpetuation of a system that is just beyond unfair. And it is the basis, of course, for the lawsuits that have been brought based on the Supreme Court's having uh, struck down affirmative action. And there is a lawsuit pending, of course, uh, saying, well, wait a second, what about the affirmative action for rich white people called legacy admissions? Why do rich white people have legacy admissions and affirmative action, but people of color who are poor, that's unconstitutional. Why does the Supreme Court take that position? How is that possible? And I don't know how to break this cycle because the truth is the incentive for those prestigious institutions, uh, what's the expression, Bill, that the uh, Harvard is an investment bank with a... Uh, with a university attached. With a university attached. So they have these endowments of billions and billions of dollars because they admit as future alumni uh, people who come from incredible resources and the whole Varsity Blues story. We, we just keep seeing this. And for people who, you know, are born not into wealthy families, it's a really tough it's a really tough bar to jump. Well, over. it's it's a, it's another uh, act of discrimination, and it's another systemic discrimination. Uh, I found the Supreme Court's decision uh, outlawing, uh, declaring unconstitutional uh, affirmative action in higher education to be an absolute abomination because they are so blind to their own privilege. That's one possibility. The other is they know they're privileged. And they are going to preserve that privilege at all costs. Rich white people should have colleges and universities of the highest rank be available to them. And as for uh, people who are not born into privilege, well, tough. I mean, that's what the Supreme Court says. Yeah, it's I mean, not our job to remedy past affronts to fairness. I, you know, our job is to look right now. We're not going to discriminate against white people or rich people in the name of past injustice to people of color. It, it is so myopic. It is really horrific. Well, it's, it's, it's beyond myopic. It is, in fact, uh, the ideology of this Supreme Court, which is that uh, persons of color, individuals, members of the BIPOC communities, uh, are entitled to nothing that might remedy discrimination that they face now, and have faced in the past. But if you're rich and you're white and you have privilege, we'll defend that at all costs. And that is the ideology of this court. It is the ideology of the Republican Party. It is, I think, beyond reproach. I mean, it's just so reproachful. It is so horrifying. It is so unfair. And they don't care. At least Trickle Down pretended to care about what the rest of us, what happens with the rest of us. This isn't even trickle down. This is don't discriminate against the wealthy. Well, this, this Supreme Court, um, by striking down affirmative action, uh, and it's really a decision worth reading. And the dissents are worth reading because 
uh, for non-lawyers, they are very accessible. And what those decisions show is the way in which this court stands for the proposition that rich white people have privileges that they should keep, are entitled to keep, and that, according to this court, so far, constitutionally are guaranteed to maintain. We'll be right back. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 